It's a beautiful day to worship and honor the Lord, to exalt His great name, honor His word, and find the blessing and refreshing of life that comes to those who know and love God and who give their lives to Him. Our verse continues on because God is still trying to speak. May we listen to His voice. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Precious, amazing, marvelous, wonderful promise that we have from God's Word. So we're meeting together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and trust that your hearts will be opened and prepared for the blessing that awaits those who meet in the presence of the Lord. All right, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. The Bible is like a mine. There are pockets of enormous riches as we go through it. All of the word of God is rich, but there are various pockets of truth that are given to us throughout throughout the scriptures. One of these wonderful treasure spots is in Colossians chapter 2. And I want to read the text. I hope that you have the notes in front of you. This, this is an, ama an amazing text. We are going to be observing the Lord's Supper. I failed to mention this during the announcement time, and I trust that you are prepared because at the close of this message, we are going to uh, move the focus of the message right into uh, an observance of the Lord's Supper. So I hope that you'll have your grape juice and your wafers or crackers, whatever you have there. You'll have them available uh, at the at the close of the message, Colossians chapter two, and I want to read read through this text of scripture. I will eliminate just two or three verses as we read through Colossians two. I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding of the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, 
in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Beware, verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you, or really lead, lead you on as a spoil, make a spoil of you through philosophy, and vain deceit or empty deception. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments, that's the elementary thought processes of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, that's with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. It is amazing. We're, we're living in, a, in, in America. We're living in an academic environment, an environment that prides itself in knowledge and information. Um, but they miss the whole point because they don't have a clue as to why all of this exists and as to how they relate to why all of this exists. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about the wealth in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance, which is the Greek word that means complete certainty. And by the way, the only thing of which people in our day are certain is that they're certain of nothing. <laughs> And understanding, which is comprehension, and we'll look at that word in a little bit, which results in a true knowledge, which is the Greek word epignosis, which means full knowledge, full, complete knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden. And that word hidden refers to a gravesite, a crypt, a place where the dead are buried and contained, in whom are crypted away all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, notice the heading before this verse. Personal wealth, enrichment of life. Now, the Christian life is not about depriving men of good things. It is about enriching their lives in a true, lasting, eternal way. Now, we have eternal life, and there are two dynamics or dimensions to that. There is eternal, and that is the time element forever. That is eternal in time. But then there's eternal in nature. That means it's enduring forever. So, we are living presently with the hope of eternal life. Life that will never end in the presence of God. But we are living eternal life in the sense that as we live in the will and the works and ways of God, 
Everything we do has eternal value, eternal significance, eternal meaning. It means that everything that's done for the glory of God lasts forever and none of it will be lost. Now get that. How many people do you know that live with the sense that everything they do today has eternal significance and value and, and none of what I do for the glory of God today will ever be lost. That's a part of having eternal life. And Paul talks about the enriching of life. He talks about wealth. He talks about a treasure. Uh, he talks about something that is of great value, great worth that believers have that nobody else has. Why do we have it? It's all in Christ. We're going to go to the cross. We're going to celebrate his death, his burial, his resurrection of the, and the work of the cross. See? So how do, you, how do you have a rich, full life? By having a lot of things. Many people who are wealthy are living an empty life. Many people who are immersed in pleasure are living an empty life. Mm -hmm. When they get done, they have nothing. Right. It's all gone. There's no value, there's no, there's, there's no permanency to anything they do. Everything is temporal, it's for the moment. That's why most people live for the moment, that's all they've got. But when you have eternal life, you have a treasure. May I say this, you have a treasure. So there is a personal life and an enrichment of life, and how does it come? It's grounded on a grasp of truth, grounded in divine revelation, and totally, uh, totally originating in Christ. None of it comes from any other place except in Jesus Christ. And the word Christ here is the word for Messiah. Amazing. Attaining to all the wealth that comes from complete certainty, complete certainty of understanding which results in a true knowledge, a full, complete knowledge, a comprehensive knowledge of God's mystery. Now you'll notice if you go to the top of the outline, it's titled Our Great All-Sufficient Savior. And the first point under that is His greatness is comprehensive. Secondly, His sufficiency is comprehensive, which means complete, including all or nearly all elements or aspects of something covered Covering something completely or broadly means inclusive. Nothing is lacking. Nothing is lacking. So, because of Christ, Messiah. Now, how can we say that, that all true, complete certainty, all comprehension, all true knowledge is connected to Jesus Christ? You say, now this must be some kind of a religious concept. How, how can I say that all of this comes from Christ? All of this is in Christ. Which would indicate that if I don't know Christ, I don't have true knowledge. I don't have any, I don't have any comprehensive grasp of knowledge. I have no certain knowledge. How can we say that all of this is in Christ? Well, number one. Number one, who created everything? John's Gospel, chapter 1. All things came into existence by Jesus Christ. And apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. 
All that exists, exists by virtue of the creative word and power of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you something. Who in all of this universe would have a greater knowledge of the true meaning and the, and the true nature of everything that exists apart from the one who created it? Right. You've got to go to your creator to find out who and what you are. You've got to go to your creator to find the meaning of your life and the purpose of your life. Divine purpose. So, it's all in Christ. Notice that word understanding. I, I looked that up in my lexicons and it was, it's interesting that, that, that the, orig the word originated from, from the concept of two rivers coming together into one and meeting together. It's the idea that, that, that you're able to begin to put together the things that you know to where they make sense. It means when the lights are turned on and you oh, that's how that, that's what that means. And you can't come to the place where the lights go on in your life without Jesus Christ. He is the missing element. All true knowledge and understanding is in him. All true wisdom comes from him. Him. He's made unto us wisdom and righteousness, Jesus Christ himself. And so you have a grasp of truth, a true knowledge of God's mystery. Now notice the, mis the word mystery again, an important word. What is a mystery? Biblically speaking, a mystery is something you can't figure out, you can't know it, and you can't understand it unless God reveals it to you and God shows you what it is. That's a mystery. That's why life doesn't make sense without Jesus Christ. Right. That's why the, the events in your life, as you look at them, they, they're, they're disjointed and, and, they, and it's, it's like a roller coaster. You're up and you're down and none of this stuff makes sense. Why am I here? Who am I? What am I doing in this world? Why am I existing in this way? Why the COVID for a whole year? None of this makes sense. Apart from divine revelation. This is where we get the answer to these things. The two rivers come together, the lights go on, and we receive understanding. And then we receive a comprehensive knowledge of God's mystery, who is Christ himself, in whom, verse 3, are hidden, crypted away, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. May I say this, and I say it very kindly. The education and system, the, 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 the secular education system in America has missed the boat because the key of knowledge, the key to all of the knowledge they're trying to teach is missing totally. Totally missing. Totally missing. You say, how can people be so educated and be so stupid? And I'm saying that kindly too. Because the key to knowledge is missing. How can people be so educated to hate each other like they do in America today? Because the key of knowledge is missing. You are not truly educated, have you not a knowledge of God? He is the creator. He's the beginning of knowledge. He will be the consummation of all knowledge, too, because everything begins in him, continues through him, and ends in him. So you have this, this is a profound statement that the Apostle Paul is making. And he says in verse 4, the reason I'm saying this is so, so that because there are people who are going to deceive and cheat you with persuasive arguments, with the art of persuasion. And he says, I don't want anybody to get away with this. You can't have a true system of knowledge that truly is knowledge 
without an apprehension of the mystery of Jesus Christ. And that is only known by revelation. And that is why when the Bible was taken out of the schools, education collapsed at that point morally and ethically. Mm. It collapsed. You have to have Jesus Christ in any system of knowledge. So, I have three points. Known only through revelation. Because if God doesn't reveal it, you can't, you, no one, listen, nobody was there when the world was created except God. Right. There weren't any scientists, there weren't any satellites, there weren't any explorers, nobody was there except God. And I promise you, Charles Darwin was not there. Right. He was not there. He's been guessing wrong, and everybody follows him, been guessing wrong. None of these scientists, no matter how austere, accomplished they may be, nor advanced in, in their achievements, none of them was there. And if nobody was there, nobody saw what happened. And if nobody saw what happened, nobody can find out what happened unless the one that made it happen tells you. Right. Right. <laughs> it's known only through revelation. Secondly, it's known only through revelation of Jesus Christ because he is God's revelation of himself to man. And number three... Christ is the embodiment of the totality of salvation. He is the embodiment of everything that is involved in the divine rescue of man from sin. He is the totality. And that is why we teach that salvation is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, and in Jesus Christ alone. Because the totality of our salvation is wrapped up in his personal work for us is coming in flesh and assuming the guilt of our sins on the cross, assuming the judgment, the, the, the wrath of God poured out for our sins on the cross. Every conceivable need of man is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our creator, our redeemer, and our conqueror. Notice verse number 8. See to it. Be careful. Watch out. Don't let anybody take you captive through philosophy, through empty deception, in accordance with men's traditions and the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ, because in Jesus Christ, and we, we could add the word personally here because of the word him, the emphasis is on him, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All the fullness. He is the effulgence of the glory of God according to the writer of the book of Hebrews. He is the exact representative of the character of the true and the living God. All the fullness of the Godhead in a bodily form, in human form, dwells in him. And the consequence is in verse number 10. In him you have been having filled up full. In him you have been having filled up full. Something that, that is a process that's come to an end and is with permanent results. You are having been filled up to fullness and completion is the way the Greek text reads here. In him you have been made complete. You've been filled up full. Now let me ask you something. When you take a glass of water and it's full, how much more can you put into it? How much more do you need to put into it? 
He is all you need. He is all that you and I need. Now here's the cherry on top of the whipped cream, on top of the Ghirardelli chocolate, on top of the vanilla ice cream, say. Jesus Christ is the rule, or is the head over all rule and authority. <laughs> you know, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to talk about some of these liberal professors in these theological cemeteries, and, and he used to say that they strutted around in pride and arrogance uh, like, like, uh, like they were looking for a vacancy in the Trinity. Now, there is no vacancy in the Trinity. Uh, God is God, and nobody's going to replace him. And the wonderful thing is that neither Democrats, nor Republicans, nor Independents, nor Progressives, nor anybody's going to vote him out of office. This is not going to happen. In other words, this thing, there's nobody can make this change. Nobody can revise the order of things. You see, God is uniquely infinite. Everything else is finite. Everything and everyone else is finite. God is uniquely uncreated. Everything else is created. So, so you, 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 have, you have a situation where this is a final arrangement. It, 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 it's not subject to change. It's not subject to change. That's why, that's why it's a certain knowledge. Faith is the conviction, the certainty, the absolute certainty about things that are not seen. So this becomes a treasure to the believer because we have a hope that is grounded not in philosophy, not in the elementary principles of the world, not in that which is finite, not in that which is created, but in our Creator Himself. And to me, in these last months and years, one of the most amazing truths is this, that our Creator is this one and the same with our Redeemer. Our Creator became our Redeemer. This is amazing. That's why our Redeemer reveals to us our Creator, because we are our Creator. And apart from our Redeemer, we cannot know our Creator. This is to be amazing. John says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, the New American Standard says, Only begotten God. Either translation is absolutely right on target. The uniquely begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. The bosom is the closest to the heart and life of the Father. He has explained him. You cannot know God apart from Jesus Christ. It is utterly and absolutely impossible because God comes to us in the person of Christ. And you'll notice the bullet under there. There is nothing to be had of God outside of Jesus Christ. There is nothing to be had of God outside of Jesus Christ. You know, so many people are trying to find God without Jesus Christ. You can't do that. You can't do that. So many people are, are trying to make a way to God the Father without going through Jesus. I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. But Jesus is God. So to deny Jesus is to deny, to deny, to deny the Son is to deny the Father, according to what Jesus taught. There is nothing to be had of God outside of Christ. So then I look at the dynamic of the completeness of the salvation that we have in Christ and I wish I had time for a full exposition of this text. We don't. But you'll notice I have underlined just a number of words in, in a bold type. 
He talks about a circumcision made without hands, the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, then a burial. So the circumcision represents our death in Jesus Christ on the cross. That was read to us uh, in Romans 6 by Pastor Pelletier in the scripture lesson of the morning. And you've been, you've been crucified with him, you have been buried with him. And it, the baptism here is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that places you into living union with Jesus Christ. Where you are in Christ, Christ is in you. Literally, he lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about being raised up uh, with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And uh, then he repeats that. Uh, and it, it comes at it from a different, different standpoint. When you were dead. And Ephesians chapter 2 begins, you were dead in trespasses and sin. Uh, when you were dead in your transgression and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. Now this is a supernatural act of God. This is raising the dead, making you alive in Jesus Christ. And this is, the, uh, this is the idea of a new birth. Unless a man is born again, Jesus told Nicodemus, he, he, he can't see the kingdom of God. It is not possible. You have to be reborn. And then he talks of being, being born by the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. So we have been crucified in Jesus Christ. We have been buried in Jesus Christ. Literally, historically, as a fact in the heart and mind of God, historically, we were included in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the results of this all is that he has forgiven us, notice the word, all our transgressions. Now, now just stop for just a moment. We'll talk about the word forgiven in just a moment. All our transgressions. Now, let me, let me re-emphasize, I repeat this many times and I do it, I must do it, because it takes a long time to get this, okay? It takes a long time to get it, to put it all together in your heart and mind. You and I are aware of some of our sins. We never are aware of all of our sins. If we, if we got to heaven because we confessed all of our sins, we would never make it to heaven. We are not aware of all of our sins. When it says all of our transgressions, it means not only the present sins, not only the past sins, but you have to put the future sins in there. It is all the sins, all of the transgressions of one lifetime, from the moment of conception to the moment of death, if that happens, moment of conception to the moment of death, all of our transgressions as known to God as known to God. In fact, sometimes we think we've sinned when we haven't, and I don't want to get into that. That's a technical thing. But, but, but sometimes the, the Satan accuses us of doing something and, and we're not guilty. He just lies to us and we believe his lies. But all of our transgressions as known to God, from conception to death, okay? The word forgiven, again, means to dismiss or to send away. It means literally to disconnect and remove. So, 
What he does is he wraps up all of our sins, disconnects us from us. Now, how did he do this? What did he do with those sins? He put them on the back of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what he did with them. It's like the high priest in the Old Testament laid his hands. He transferred all those sins on the goat of removal. Jesus Christ was our Azazel, our goat of removal. All of our sins were transferred to the Son of God who bore their full penalty and judgment, satisfying all, A-L-L, all of God's requirements and just demands for our sins to where there is nothing but nothing but nothing left to be resolved. And God the Father will never but never but never refuse to recognize the death of his son for our sins, period. This is a treasure of certain knowledge. It's a treasure of understanding. You say, you really believe it? You know, the only problem with what I just told you now, are you awake? I hope you're awake. The only problem with what I just told you now is it's too good to be true. Is it? God said he wanted to do that. Do we deny that God can do this? Because he desires to, designs to, plans to, purposes to? Oh my, be careful, be careful, be careful. There would be no other way unless we go to hell and pay for our sins first. Uh -uh. So you have the dynamic of the completeness. And then it goes beyond the sinner. The sinner was crucified, so, so the sinner has already been judged in Jesus Christ. The judgment is done. That's why it says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The sinner has been crucified. The sins have been fully paid and judged. All right? Then we've got this crazy thing about the law. It's going to show up and say, this man fell short. Look here, this man didn't love God. This man didn't love his fellow man. This man lied. This man... Uh, oh, wait a minute. Well, what happened to the law? In the law, he said he canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he's taken it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. With finality. The condemnatory power of the law has been forever disabled. So, th there's nothing can show up at the judgment to condemn you. Who is he that condemns, is the, is the question. It is Christ who died. Who can stand against Jesus Christ and condemn us and say, Jesus is wrong? Ah, oh, that won't happen. That won't happen. And then Satan and his demonic hosts are forever defeated and disenfranchised. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Colossians 1.13 is just a precious, precious text. Speaking of Jesus Christ who has delivered us, literally the Greek word means to rescue, it means to reach down and pull somebody out of, of, of a devastating situation of a death-threatening of a death situation. He reached down and he rescued us. And the word power or domain means from the authority, from the authority of darkness. Why? Because he defeated the powers of darkness. 
The powers of darkness have been defeated. They have no authority. He rescued us out of, out of the authority of darkness. And the next word is wonderful. He transferred us over, literally, into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what it means to be a Christian. So we have, we have personal wealth enrichment of life. We have a grasp of certain truth. We have complete certainty. And we have comprehension. And we have a comprehensive knowledge of God's mystery, who is Jesus Christ. How is it given to us? In revelation, it's outlined for us here in the word of God. How do I know I have been saved? How do I know I've been rescued from the judgment of my sins? How do I know that with certainty? I know it because God says it in his word. God has revealed it in his word through Jesus Christ who came in flesh, took my place, the sinner's place on the cross, bore my judgment, but he took me into that judgment with him. I, I was there with him. I died with him. I was judged in him. I was buried in him. I was raised from the dead in him. This is what God did to save me from my sin. <laughs> oh my. You get, you get to just being joyful if you, really, if you really get this. Do the two, two rivers come together? Do the lights go on? There's, there's, there's nothing left. It's done. It's done. The great judgment is done. I am my Lord's and he is mine. Oh my. The judgment is over. It's in history past. So in a moment when we take the bread and we take the cup, we, we, we are looking in history past at the moment when God dealt with us in the person of his son Jesus Christ. And we can say, hallelujah, what a savior he is. What, what a salvation. Now, I, I can promise you that there is nobody would have come up with this thing. In, in your wildest imagination, who would dream of a salvation like this? And that's why it's known only through revelation. Man can't figure it out because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense until, until you see how God put it together in Jesus Christ. And that it all makes wonderful sense. Listen, have, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you have not, oh, this very moment, cry out to him, Lord Jesus, save me today. I welcome you. I invite you. Come into my heart and life. Save me today from my sin. I acknowledge you. I welcome you. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior forever. Save me today, Lord Jesus. Wow. That means if you give your heart and life to Christ in that manner, everyone, whoever he may be, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, rescued from the eternal judgment of sins. So I hope you have your elements ready for you because we are going to take this time to praise, to celebrate the goodness of God and this great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We are going to take these elements, these physical material elements, just as a symbolic representation of that which our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross.
It's absolutely a marvelous truth, a finished work that endures for all eternity. It is as the work of Christ, may I say this, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our salvation is just as infinite as Jesus Christ is. And the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins is just as eternal as Jesus Christ is. It lasts as long as he is Christ. And that's forever. That's forever. That's forever. So we celebrate a finished work, a great Savior. His greatness is comprehensive. His sufficiency is comprehensive. He is an all-sufficient, great Savior. So our Lord Jesus was gathered in that upper room with his disciples, and he gave us this ordinance that we might do it. The Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Our Lord Jesus gathered with his disciples in that upper room, took bread. And he said to his disciples, take and eat it. This is my body. It's given for you. And we'll repeat that in just a moment. But he took that bread, representing himself, representing his physical body in his humanity. This again, you can't invent this. God became man. Tell me, that doesn't fit into anybody's brain. The finite, I'm sorry, the infinite becomes, in, in, becomes finite. That doesn't fit in anybody's brain. But what is it that sustains and gives life? It's bread. Jesus is the bread of life. And through his death on the cross, you and I, through his death, is crushing. The seed went into the ground, and it bore fruit unto eternal life. So let's take our bread in hand, and let's remember the body of our Lord Jesus Christ given for us on the cross. Wonderful memory wonderful basis of certain knowledge. The Lord Jesus told his disciples to take, to eat. This was his body. And then he explained, given for you. And he said, do this now in remembrance of or as a means to bring to mind, to recall to memory, me personally. We remember now our Lord Jesus the giving of his body and death upon the cross. And then our Lord Jesus Christ took the cup after the same manner and he gave it to his disciples and of course representing the blood he was going to shed on the cross. Behold the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sin of the world. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ atonement is made, forgiveness is rendered, and remember all our trespasses. All our trespasses. This cup, Jesus said, is the New Testament. Oh, I love that word. It's a word of permanence. It's a word that means unalterable, unchangeable. This is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, he said, every time you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me as we praise our Lord Jesus Christ.